to the Nervous Curve. I am your excitable host, Hunter. I want to take some time to fill you guys in on what this podcast is all about, what we're going to be talking about in the oncoming weeks. Anxiety, panic, panic attacks, fear, all of those will be discussed those impalpable and oftentimes difficult psychological issues to discern will be discussed as well. But it's not all doom and gloom. We're going to talk about triumph. We're going to talk about relief. We're going to discuss finding solace in an otherwise bleak world. We will discuss feelings that overcome us, how we cope with them, what's going on inside of our bodies during these times of intense stress. We'll speak with experts, we'll hear your stories, your takes, all of your trials and tribulations, and we're going to learn together so that we can begin to heal, reestablish normality. I'd like to begin with my own story. I am 24 years old and I've always been an anxious and I guess anxious person and I guess you could say a socially awkward person as well. Um, I've dealt with it all of my life and it's never been that big of a deal Usually I would get a little bit anxious and worry about things and then I would just kind of forget about them and it would go away. Uh, but it wasn't until I went away to college at the age of 18 that things started to change for me. I went to Western Kentucky University right out of high school in Bowling Green, Kentucky. And I enjoyed my time there for the majority of the time that it was spent there. I enjoyed it. Um, for the first three or four years, I uh, didn't really excel in school there. Um, I guess you could say I was just kind of burned out by that point. I had perfect attendance almost from kindergarten till senior year of high school. And... I'd always been, uh, I guess you could say a nerd, in a way, but once I got to college, I just, I couldn't, I couldn't seem to, to keep myself interested, motivated, if you will, in learning, um, but after several years there, uh, I, I began developing panic attacks. I remember specifically... Uh, the first time that I really felt the overwhelming dread, I guess you could call it, um, that, that comes with panic attacks is the, f the first 
the first week of, of English class, um, which is one of my favorite subjects. I enjoy literature, uh, poems, things of that nature. Um, and I remember sitting there in, in class and all of a sudden I, I started feeling my, my hands tingling. I started feeling my, my legs growing a little bit numb. And I thought to myself, something's seriously wrong with me. I should probably get out of here. So, without trying to uh, draw too much attention to myself, I got up and left the class and started walking home. My house uh, that I was renting at the time was about two blocks away from school. So I began my walk home and I noticed as I walked further, I began to grow more and more out of breath. About halfway home, I was absolutely exhausted and I was breathing heavily as if I had just sprinted from class. And by the time that I reached my house, I was absolutely out of breath to the point where I was hunched over and gasping for air. Now any of you out there that are listening are probably familiar with some of these some of these traits some of these symptoms it was probably my first big panic attack and I uh, I spent about probably about an hour maybe maybe an hour and a half just sitting there breathing trying to catch my breath until it finally subsided and I was able to uh, I, was, I was I was able to breathe again um, but it was so terrifying and eventually I uh, I started seeing a therapist in college and they diagnosed me with anxiety and, and panic attacks um, and they started me off on uh, they started me off on a on an antidepressant, um, which after the first day of taking, I absolutely decided that that was not going to be my path. I knew right then and there, after spending an entire day as a zombie, that that type of lifestyle just wasn't for me. I wanted to handle this on my own. I wanted to hit it head on, um, and so I began meditating and spent the rest of my time there, which after that first panic attack was about another year, and I didn't end up finishing college. I uh, grew wary of being on my own, being, you know, several hours away from home. I was a little bit homesick, and uh, I decided to return home. Um, and for the next two years, I lived with my mother and my little brother at her house in Louisville, Kentucky, and I didn't really have any problems. I found a couple jobs, a couple decent jobs. I worked for GameStop, uh, and then eventually I started delivering um, packages for Amazon. Um, d throughout the time that I was there, living at home, I kind of felt a little bit unfulfilled. I would spend the majority of my time, majority of my free time outside of work, just playing video games. 
sitting there on my bed, on the computer, on YouTube, on Netflix, just doing a lot of nothing. I wasn't out there experiencing the world. And I'm going to get to that here soon. Um, after Shortly after I joined the Amazon team and started delivering packages, uh, my mother went into the hospital. She had had open heart surgery due to smoking about, it was probably about six or seven years ago, roughly, and uh, she, reco she recovered um, and was doing all right. And we, I noticed here and there that she hadn't completely quit smoking. It was just something that was so deeply ingrained um, into her, her lifestyle that it was understandably a pretty tough thing to, to just toss aside after, you know, so many years of abuse. Um, but like I was saying, as soon as, uh, r roughly right after I, I joined the, uh, the Amazon team, um, she went back into the hospital. She was having some issues with, uh, her Coumadin, um, and she became septic, and they had to give her a blood transfusion, and honestly, I'm a little bit, um, medically ignorant, so I don't know everything that happened with her, but I know that it was pretty serious. I know it was definitely no, nothing to, to just shrug off, okay? But there was one thing that I did know, is that my mother is one of the toughest people I've ever known. One of the most stable, um, independent people I've ever known. And uh, after, it was probably about a month, maybe a little bit less than that, um, they sent her home and said everything was fine. She just needed to take it easy, um, in which she decided to go back to work, I believe maybe the next day, or the day after that. Um, she was an admissions coordinator at a nursing home, um, but she went, to, she went to work for one day and came back and I noticed that she, had, she looked absolutely diminished. She passed out in her bed didn't say anything for about a day or two. Um, then she, you know, I had told her when she came back from, from the hospital, I, I, I made it clear to her, you know, if there's any problems, let me know. You know, I'm, I'm concerned. I want to be here for you the way that you've been here for me. Um, I didn't want her to feel like she was all alone. Um, so, a few, roughly a day or two later, um, she was supposed to get up for work and, and didn't, um, and my cousin worked with her and came over to the house and, uh, found her sleeping, and she, you know, this, this is not a normal thing, my, my mother doesn't miss work, you know, she doesn't wake up late, if she's sick, she'll call in, absolutely, um, so, you know, my cousin assumed that there was something wrong. 
So she proceeded to come over to the house and check on my mom. And she came into her room, and my mother kind of sat up real quickly, um, as if to act like she was okay, and then kind of fell over a little bit. And my uh, my cousin decided it was best to take her back to the hospital just to just to check, just to make sure things were all right. Um, so she did, and what happens next is a very, very rare and unfortunate series of events. Um, she went back into the hospital and her uh, kidney, her kidneys began failing on her. Um, she was extremely dehydrated. She, uh, you know, she, she couldn't eat. Uh, she was having a lot of problems. Her body was just shutting down. So they took her to the in intensive care units and uh, began doing what they do. Um, and like I said before, I'm a little bit medically ignorant. So all I do know is that they were uh, trying to get her into dialysis. Um, they were trying to, uh, you know, get fluids back into her, keep her uh, nourished. Um, and all the all the while, you know, I was going up to the hospital every few days or so and, and visiting with her. I'm a little bit of a, I've become a little bit of a hypochondriac and a little bit of a, uh, germaphobe in the past year or so. So I struggled going to the hospital to see her. It was tough for me going there. Um, I didn't, I, I just didn't want to be in that environment. You know, all the, all the germs, all the sickness festering, just waiting, you know, to get into my body. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was tough. It was tough to do that, um, but but I did. I, I you know, like I said, I, I had to be there for her. She would have been there for me. Um, but over the time, um, things seemed to get better, and then, uh, you know, she would uh, she would get worse, and it would just kind of go back and forth, and uh, you know, she eventually got to the point where she had to be on a ventilator. Um, and I'm not exactly sure why. Um, I think it was uh, fluid in her lungs, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, eventually she developed several infections. She developed staph infection. And she developed um, some form of an antibiotic-resistant uh, uh, infection. Um which is pretty serious. It's it's something that uh, they, they only had one or two antibiotics that could actually fight it, and they actually had to order that in. They didn't even have any in the hospital. Um, but she started fighting those, and she was getting better. Um, everybody saw it. You know, we were discussing, you know, her coming home, and we were fixing up her room for her, cleaning her in the house, making everything look nice for her. Um, just, you know, staying staying positive about it. And everything seemed to be going in that direction. 
but I remember probably a couple weeks after the ventilator, um, I was sleeping in, um, and somebody knocked on my bedroom door. And it was probably 9, 10 in the morning, I think. Um, and it was my uncle. He, he opened the door, and he woke me up, and he said, Hey, something's going on at the hospital. You need to get up and get up there as soon as possible. So, and I was, I was still half asleep. I was still, it was almost surreal. It was, it was a very dreamlike sequence of events because I woke up and got out of bed and just started putting my clothes on, not really thinking about anything. I, I, I couldn't really comprehend at the time that maybe something was seriously wrong. Um, and I walked downstairs and my little brother was putting his clothes on as well and he seemed to be kind of in the same state that I was. Um, and we got into my car and we drove up to the hospital and the whole time there we didn't say anything. You know, I just turned on the radio, just listened to some music. Um, but we got there at the hospital and we got into the elevator to go up to the the floor in which my mother was in, and uh, we saw some of her co-workers coming in. I thought that was strange. You know, why are they here? Especially right now. And they both hugged me, and one of them was crying. And I, I still, for whatever reason, you know, I, I don't know why. Um, didn't understand what I was, what I was seeing. Why? She was crying, you know. Uh, so we, we got upstairs and kind of sat there for a while, waiting, you know. I was in the room with her, with my mother, for a few minutes. Um, and finally my aunt shows up and brings us into the uh, the waiting room. And she asked me, has anybody told you what's going on right now? I said no. Nobody said anything to me. So I, uh, I sat down and, and she sat down next to me. She told me, you know, straight up, your mother, she's had a massive stroke. And I remember putting my, my head down and putting my hands over my head, trying to breathe, trying to, to grasp what I was hearing. I remember her telling me, you know, we're going to take care of you. We're going we're gonna to make sure you guys are all right. But at that point, you know, what can anybody say to you? You're pretty much inconsolable. So I sat there for about, I don't know, 
five, ten minutes. And uh, the nurse practitioner came in and she came to us and explained what was happening, what happened. Um, it was essentially a growth of vegetation on her heart valve um, that had come loose due to some blood thinners and got to her brain and caused a stroke and she was pronounced clinically brain deaf. So there was no no brain activity, you know, wasn't responding to to any stimuli, anything like that. So I knew right then and there, you know, I'm not I'm not an idiot. I know it's over. So we uh we called my older brother. Um he lived in he lives in New York and we told him to come in and uh we told him, you know, he needed to get here as soon as possible. Cause we had, you know, unanimously decided to take her off the ventilator and and, and let her go. You know. There was no no sense in just letting her sit there like that. So, I remember uh, going home that night, and uh, as soon as I entered my house, there was just an emptiness. Something that I couldn't fully grasp at the time. Like there was just something missing. And I remember thinking to myself, there's no way I could stay here tonight. There's no way. It's too empty. A key piece of this home is missing now. So I grabbed my stuff, shoved it all in a backpack, and I drove back up to the hospital where my aunts and my cousin were staying there overnight. Um, Maybe they felt the same way, I don't know. But, uh, got up there and we, we, hang out, we hung out, talked about books. I remember we talked about the, uh, The Great Gatsby, for some reason. One of my favorite books of all time. Um, some other, other, other novels. I remember that one specifically. Um, and then, uh, I remember being awake until sunrise sitting there talking and uh i eventually got so tired and i i realized you know it's like this next day is going to be so long so i, I you know i said I, I need to get some sleep so I, I pulled two chairs together in the waiting room and and pretty much was knocked out in a matter of seconds and I remember waking up to my brother and my aunts and all of them standing there and uh, we, you know, went ahead and planned everything, told the nurse, nurse practitioner everybody was here and let's, whenever you guys are ready, we're ready to uh, take her off the vent and uh, I uh, went downstairs to get a breakfast burrito, came back upstairs and was literally putting it into my mouth when the nurse practitioner came in and said we're ready 
So I, uh, of course, immediately it was just, I lost all the hunger. I lost all, all of my appetite as soon as that, as soon as she, you know, entered the room. So I threw it away and we went and stood next to my mother's room and I remember just being terrified to even look in there. To see her the way she was. Because I didn't want to, I didn't want to remember her like this. I knew this was, you know, the, the last time. But, uh, we, we all gathered there and they, you know, gave her a bunch of morphine and took her off the fence. And we walked in there and stood there next to her. And we, you know, surrounded her. Um, and I'll tell you right now, I don't know how long we were in that room, but I have never, never felt a passage of time take that long. It was one of the, up until that point, one of the toughest things I'd ever done in my entire life, ever. But I, I kept telling myself, you know, I need to be here for her. And so I, I stayed and the doctors came in and checked her heart and she had passed. Um, so, and then right after that, things just took off so fast, so quickly. Um, my brother was only, my older brother was only in town for several days, so we had to, we had to plan everything out quickly. I remember, you know, as soon as we left the room, after they pronounced her, um, we, uh, we called the funeral home, you know, instantly, and um, met up with them, I think, that day. Honestly, it's tough for me to, to decipher everything, remember things clearly, um, you know, for obvious reasons. Everything was just happening so quickly, and I was starting to become muddled, starting to, to feel cloudy, and uh, we... You know, we met with the funeral director, I got through that, didn't have as many problems as I thought I would, and um, we went to um, the monument place, and uh, I picked out her monument, and, uh, you know, we we just kind of stayed with family. We all, you know, we went and ate a couple times. Um, and then the, you know, the funeral came on, um, a few days later, and it was, it was strange, because I didn't, I didn't feel terribly sad. I, I thought I was handling it pretty well, and so did everybody else. Uh, later, you know, some, some people would tell me they, they thought I was handling it too well. Um. But I kept telling myself, you know, I got to get through. I can, I can get through this for her. 
you know. Um, so uh, we got through the funeral. Um, no problems, really. And about two or two or three days later, roughly, I went back to work, um, driving, delivering packages for Amazon, and I remember the entire time, from the moment I woke up that day, um, towards the you know the end of my route, I had this terrible tension headache. It wasn't. It didn't, you know, come into a, a full-blown headache or anything like that, but it was just, you know, some tension up in my temples, like I was holding a lot of pressure there, and uh, I got through my route, and on my way home, all of a sudden, I just, the only way I can describe it is just getting knocked, just smacked right in the face with... an impalpable force. I don't even know how to describe it other than a pure concentrated dose of dread of, of doom hit me. And I remember thinking like, oh my god, I'm about to die. Like, I'm, I'm dying right now. I feel my life slipping away from me and I almost I felt like I was about to pass out I was in the middle of driving and the only thing I could do was clutch my hand to my mouth and kind of keep myself together and I kept thinking I remember thinking it's like I, I if if it's the last thing that I do I need to call somebody and let them know where I am so I uh first number I dialed was my cousin because she's you know she worked with my my mother she was a nurse uh, if I didn't mention it before, my mother was a nurse, um, for 30-something, 40-something years, something like that, and, uh, I called, I called my cousin and explained to her what was happening, and I told her how strange it was, how, how weird I was feeling, because it just kind of, it subsided a little bit once I started speaking with her, and I, I didn't feel quite as queasy, I didn't feel like I was going to pass out as much. Um, but I told her, you know, I'm gonna stay on the line with you until I get home, and uh, we, we, I just kind of, you know, told her what was happening, and then I remember getting home and walking into the living room, and she's like, you know, go lay down on the couch. We're gonna check you out real quick and make sure things okay. And at that moment, it hit me again. My hands, they started, they started going numb. You know, they started tingling real bad. My, uh, my heart started racing, uh, my feet started tingling, started shaking, I got real pale, and once again I felt like I was just, I was going to pass out, like I was just going to lose consciousness, consciousness in any moment, and, uh, you know, she took my blood pressure, my blood pressure was a little bit up, my heart rate was up, um, and she thought it might have been a, uh, a blood sugar issue, possibly. So she checked me out with that, and no, you know, nothing out of the ordinary. Um, but she gave me, you know, I told her, maybe it is a blood sugar thing, and that, 
your your meter because I think the meter she actually used was uh, for a cat. Um, so I thought maybe there's just uh, you know some some abnormal deviations from from you know what what it would usually read because it's for animals, even though we are animals I guess. Um, but you know she she got me a cupcake and a glass of orange juice. And I remember it almost instantly just made me feel better. And looking back now, I thought, you know, I'm, I'm thinking it's because I had an answer. You know, there was a, a definitive answer to my problem at that moment. You know, it was a blood sugar thing, even though I didn't really have any history of it before. There was no no history of, of me ever having an issue with this. Um, and then uh, I calmed down and, and, and proceeded to fall asleep. And uh, I woke back up the next day and felt absolutely awful. And a lot of you out there might understand this. Um, it's 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 almost like your mind is completely foggy, like it's just cloudy. Like you can't you can't think straight. You can't focus on anything. And. Um, it's 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 almost like everything around you is is too stimulating. It's it's too overwhelming, you know. The TV being too loud, or too many cars passing by the house, or somebody talking too loudly, or maybe you know excitably, um, things like that. It was it was too much for me to handle, and I felt I felt dehydrated. I I felt just downright awful, like I, I felt like death. And uh, we we went to uh, the emergency room because of how terrible I felt. I, I just didn't realize what was going on. Um, and we spent about six hours there for them to check my blood work and um, you know do an EKG on me and and all that stuff because my heart rate kept shooting up and then it would go back down and then it would shoot up and then it would go back down and then uh, you know the blood pressure would do the same. And uh, they eventually came back to me, and, and my cousin had to explain to them what just happened, you know, that my mother had passed away. And they said, yeah, that's, that's what's going on. And they diagnosed me with um, grief-stricken panic attacks. This was how my body was reacting. It finally hit me. It took about a week. It finally manifested. And let me tell you, I wouldn't wish this type of this type of feeling on anybody. On my worst enemies. I wouldn't wish it upon them. The way it makes you feel. But um I spent the next week next, sorry, the next two weeks, um, just an absolute mess, an introverted mess, and, uh, I couldn't, I couldn't be alone for more than a minute, you know, if somebody had to go somewhere, um, I had to go with them, uh, my dad's retired, so, you know, I had to, I had to stay with him for a while, um, and I would switch back between him and my cousin, 
staying at their house whenever somebody was available to basically babysit me because I couldn't be alone. Um, I started losing a lot of weight. I couldn't, you know, I didn't have an appetite. Um, and I couldn't go out to eat anywhere. I remember one of the first things I did with my father was we tried to go to McDonald's. And I thought I was about to break down right then and there. Um, I got through it, and then we went to, um, I remember we went to Staples, so we could look at printer stuff, printer cartridges, and uh, I had to walk outside and uh, call my aunt, because I was about to just, for lack of a better word, lose my shit, and uh, that's how I spent the next several weeks. One of the toughest things I've ever endured in my life. And uh, things started to get a little bit better. I started seeing a, th a therapist. Um, and, you know, we started talking it out. I started telling her, you know, about what was going on with me physically and mentally. Um, and she began explaining, you know, what was going on in my body. What was happening. Why my body was reacting in this way. And uh, I think learning about it, becoming more knowledgeable about, you know, the, the symptoms, the physiological symptoms, the, the mental fatigue that occurs. It's basically your body telling you, your mind is telling you, hey, I can't handle this anymore, you know? I can't, I can't take too much more of this. We need to, we need to settle down we need to reboot and refresh. And that's what my body was doing. And I think a lot of other people out there that experience anxiety and panic attacks on, you know, a pretty severe level like that probably feel the same. And I know, um, you know, people passing out, that's something that does, you know, it does happen when, when uh, they become too overwhelmed and uh, fortunately, I haven't had to deal with, with actually passing out. Um, but it's just, it's something that just, that happens. And, you know, learning about it actually helped me a lot. It helped me to, to get through it. Because that's the scariest part about panic attacks, isn't it? Not knowing what's going on. Scared to death because you think your body is just gonna shut down and... You know, you 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 don't you just don't know. You, you it's the unknown that's terrifying to us. And uh, after and and we're gonna touch on some of this stuff later. By the way, um, we're gonna talk about the things that are actually happening in our bodies. Um, we're gonna talk to some people that that know a little bit better than I do. I've been learning, um, but we're gonna talk to some people that that really understand it and uh, can can explain it better. Um, and that's going to come later. But, but I remember getting it out there, getting all of this off my chest, out of my head, um, finding ways to um, get my mind off of, uh, off of the way I was feeling. That was some of the best, best therapy. 
that I could get just talking to somebody. But um, it took, like I said, it took about two, two and a half, three weeks before I, I started to feel like myself again. Um, I was still, you know, a little bit more anxious when I went out into public and, and, and was by myself, you know, driving around and things like that by myself. Um, but I got through it and everything started to get better. Um, I would, you know, I'd feel a few little panic attacks come on here and there and I would kind of set myself down and just breathe. Get through it. I got through it. Um, but not too, not too long after that, you know, I... I had been wanting to uh, get a get a new tattoo, and uh, I decided to finally follow through with it. And I had decided on a half sleeve, a full half sleeve. Um, and I remember going into it, I was a little bit anxious, but I, you know, I thought, you know, I've done it before, I'm fine. And uh, I uh, I ended up going going through with it. We got. A, you know, it's not it's not fully wrapped around my arm, and it's not fully extended down yet. Uh, we just got the base image on there, um, but it took about three three and a half hours um, sitting there doing it. And I remember it was kind of tough to get through. Uh, I'm a pretty bony person. I'm a pretty skinny guy, so uh, you know, half the time it feels like just a needle going straight into bone. But I got through it, and. Uh, you know, that, that day I remember feeling a little bit lightheaded, a little bit less like myself, and uh, I thought, oh, that's just me being this again, you know, I'll be alright. And uh, I met up with a buddy, and we drove up to go get some some Chinese food. And I remember the whole time I was sitting there, you know, my my senses kind of became heightened. You know, I was seeing everything real vividly for some reason, and, you know, my hearing, I was starting to, to hear everything, and everything kind of almost started to seem overwhelming, like like I was becoming, um, like there was too much stimulation. And I, I thought, oh, it's probably just another panic attack, of course, I'll just breathe it out, and it started to, to grow even more, and I had to walk outside to catch some air, and then it full-on just hit me again, like a freight train. And uh, I had to call my my father, and I had to call my cousin. My father had to come up there and uh, you know check on me, and he eventually had to drive me home. But the entirety of the time we were waiting, you know, uh, my my buddy and I had to just walk laps around the parking lot because I, I had to get some air, and I had to just kind of walk it off because I thought I was gonna pass out and of course die again, like always. Um, my cousin kind of helped to calm me down a little bit, but it was definitely one of the bigger panic attacks I've had, and it it felt like such a setback. You know, it felt... I felt like I was beyond that point. I thought I was stronger than that. But, you know, that kind of trauma to your skin, absolutely, that could cause another panic attack. Absolutely, that could send you over, you know... It could, it could be overwhelming even if you don't think so at the time. But, um... I spent another another week you know, feeling the, uh... I guess it, you know, it wasn't even really an entire week. It was about half a week. 
about three or four days that I felt that cloudiness in my head again. I remember thinking, oh man, this is the worst. I can't think straight. I can't, you know, I can't go outside and do things. But I, I remember thinking, you know, I, this, this time around I stayed home by myself without any problems. I was a little bit nervous here and there, but no, nothing, no, no real problems. Uh, I was able to go to public places, even though it was uncomfortable. But I, I was, I was trying to push myself this time. I was trying to, to, you know, prove to myself that you don't have to let this kind of thing completely knock you out and take you off your feet. I wanted to prove to myself that that even though this is a problem, I could deal with it and carry on with my life. Because that's one of the biggest stresses that this kind of, you know, this kind of health issue brings upon you. It almost feels like your entire life is halted. It's stopped. Everything around you is, is still moving, but you are just at a standstill. And the only thing you can do is just ride it out and just wait for it to pass. But I've, I've realized as time has progressed that pushing myself is a little, it's kind of the key. And we're going to talk about that later. We're going to get deeper into that. But um, pushing yourself is not, you know, baby steps. You don't have to push yourself too much. But, um, I think that was one of the biggest keys to to the healing process, to, to trying to, to to kind of gaining back some of that normality. You know, um, I've realized that that finding little victories, like staying home by myself, driving myself, um, going out and doing things, even though I absolutely felt like shit. These were little victories, and 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 something that I've realized, and I th I hope anybody out there listening realizes, is that with every attack, every time something like this happens, it doesn't necessarily get easier. They, they don't necessarily become more mild. You just get better at handling it. You get stronger. But that's not to say that you don't need some help every now and then. It's not to say that that uh, that it's not going to be tough. Because it will be. I guarantee you that. There's there's nothing easy about panic, about anxiety, about you know your nerves. But it does get easier, you know, over time. You get you get stronger. But um, that's, that's a little bit of my story. That's kind of how this all began for me. And it's, it's still a process. I still deal with this every day. But um, like I said before, we're going we're gonna to talk more about it. We're going to talk about, you know, what's, what's happening in our bodies. Uh, we're going to talk about coping techniques, um, finding a support system, Finding healthy ways to deal with all this um, and carrying on with your life.
So, thanks for listening, and tune in next time, where we'll discuss more about anxiety, panic, panic attacks, and the relief that we can find. Well, I'd like to thank all of uh, all the listeners for tuning in. If you like what you hear, check me out on SoundCloud at Nervous Curve Podcast. That's Nervous Curve Podcast. Drop us a message. Drop a like. Um, and if you'd like to tell one of your stories, if you'd like to share, I would love to be able to uh, share some other stories on the pod. Um, send me an email at nervouscurve at outlook.com. That's nervouscurve at outlook.com. Feel free to send anything. Um, I've been your host, Hunter. Thanks for tuning in.